Hello, this is Father John Arnold, and this is Oral Valley Catholic. Generosity and greed, they're really a contrary to each other. And do we become greedy because we put too much reliance on money for our identity, uh, the insatiable need to have more? But what about generosity? What's the duty that I have to make others' lives better? Is it just about the money I have? What if I don't have very much money and I can't give very much and not going to make much of a difference maybe what I give? These are all the kinds of issues we think about when we think about being generous. I don't think anyone wants to be thought of uh, to be greedy. Maybe Ebenezer Scrooge before he turned in that great story, The Christmas Carol. But for us, generosity is so closely linked to our understanding of what the good life is. So let's take a moment to talk about generosity in the Christian tradition and what the gospel has to offer. So how do you think about generosity? You know, uh, for some, I think, very devout Catholics, they think of tithing, which was recommended in the Old Testament and is and is recommended in larger or greater degrees in the Catholic Church and uh, clearly out in the Protestant world who, at least to their churches, that tend to outgive Catholics. But that the idea of the tithe is that you give 10% of what you make and then kind of the rest is yours. At least that's one way of looking at it. And it really has led to an understanding of altruism that's about efficiency and doing good. Um, consequentialism, it's a moral theory that says that we have the duty to do the most good for the most people with what we have. Um, John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist movement, uh, urged his followers to earn more so that they could give more. And that the idea of focusing on generosity, on money, uh, was an idea that you focused it on uh, your generosity on something that was fungible and really can solve certain material problems for certain people in certain situations. Money, as you know, doesn't solve all our problems. As the Beatles famously sang, money can't buy me love. Um, but to maximize giving, altruistic efficiency is what they call it, is about the external idea of doing good for others. And that is an essential idea in all of morality. But I want to suggest to you that it's not a complete idea. A better way of looking about why it is that you try to do good for others in your giving is because the totality of your life as a life of virtue, as a life that you can claim is the good life, that you can experience as the good life, is not just about giving money. It's about sharing your time with family. It's care for a, a dying parent. It's uh, helping a neighbor in need. That the real idea of virtuous giving, which I would like you to consider, is that it, it is about our resources, but as much or more about our personal connection with trying to help others, trying to make true friends with the poor. So the virtue of generosity is really about who I am, what kind of person I become in God's eyes. That doesn't make it selfish, because the goods we pursue 
are really selfless. They're the good of another. But in doing good to other people, trying to do good to other people, and connecting with other people in all the various complexities of their situation, this is what changes us. I think that it's kind of generally wise in our country that there are many problems, especially human problems, you cannot solve by throwing money at. Um, you have to have communities that care. You have to have good families. Um, even with single parents, and I know they can feel like very isolated, how much good a single mom, a single dad does uh, when they go to their kid's soccer game uh, and maybe pass up other opportunities. That is a life of tremendous generosity on the part of that man and woman. So as we think of generosity and bigger, and bigger ideas, let's talk about briefly how it is Christians got to where we are as we talk about generosity as a virtue that transforms our life and not just as a means to solve social problems. You know, the Christian, his name was Tertullian, he's one of the great theologians in our uh, tradition, beginning of the third century, so that'd be the uh, early 200s. He wrote in one of his books, uh, he really was a famous writer, with it, uh, about a Christian lady of Carthage that he knew who was well-to-do, and she would go from neighborhood to neighborhood among the poor, helping them with gifts. Uh, and that was the way before Christianity came above ground that Christians thought about giving because they really weren't allowed to have churches. If you built a church, it could be that the Roman emperor, one of his governors would uh, show up to confiscate it and kill you if you didn't sacrifice to the emperor. So the circumstances they lived in really dictated the kinds of generosity that they could show in their communities. But after the church came above ground, it became an official religion in the uh, Roman Empire. There was a great saint named St. Paulinus of Nola. We celebrate his feast on the, on the liturgical calendar. He was one of the wealthiest men in the Roman Empire from the uh, late 4th to the early 5th centuries, roughly a contemporary of St. Jerome and St. Augustine. But Paulinus married a, a woman, Teresa, Therese, and uh, converted to the Catholic faith, lived a very ascetic lifestyle where they had great amounts of money, but they didn't spend it on themselves. And so they directed it outwards. He, after his, uh, he lived like a monk with his, with his sister, uh, I mean, not his sister, his wife. And then afterwards, uh, he became the Bishop of Nola, which is just south of Naples in Italy. So he left Western Spain and Western uh, France, the areas we think of um, now as Spain and France. And he transferred his money to Italy in the uh, great historian of uh, Christianity in late antiquity, Peter Brown, said that Paulinus and Nola was a good example of Christianity's destabilizing effect on culture as it was, because a Roman patron was supposed to take care of the people in his area. So he would build public buildings, coliseums, whatever it is that was in the public uh, welfare. That's how government ran in those days. The wealthy who had a lot of power were expected to take care of people. But what happens when you 
disconnect from your obligations as a Roman and you reconnect with a different community, uh, the, the Catholic Church, and you take your money and instead of building a Coliseum in Spain, you build a church and a shrine to St. Felix and Nola. They still, just, they still have this great procession uh, in honor of St. Paulinus of Nola uh, to remember his generosity. But what was interesting about it is in Tertullian's time, charity was individual, a rich lady from Carthage, because the community had a harder time. Although if you look at Acts of the Apostles, the community played a role in, the, in generosity to others, and especially in Paul. How that went forward in Christianity is all, not all that clear, but in the time of St. Paulinus of Nola, it becomes very clear that the parishes, St. Paulinus's church in honor of St. Felix, became a place where the poor would come to get, uh, to get aid. So if uh, parishes helped to run a soup kitchen or have a St. Vincent to Paul uh, where they hand out food or uh, pay rent, the kinds of things St. Vincent to Paul does, or even interfaith uh, uh, community services, which uh, is how we reach out to the poor up in, in Oro Valley. This concerted effort um, is really uh, typical of the time of St. Polinus of Nola. He didn't invent it, but because the church became a, came above ground, it allowed uh, Christian bishops to become much more active uh, in care of the poor. So, you know, this was the ideal raised in the Acts of the Apostles. Maybe it didn't work out so well in the time of persecution, but clearly since the time of Paulinus of Nola, parishes and dioceses have been centers of generosity uh, based on the support of the people of God who give generously to the church so the church might do its work through now Catholic community services or St. Vincent de Paul or interfaith community services. So think about that. That one lady who'd go around and individually give money to people versus you give money to Catholic community services knowing that good things are done or hoping good things are done. There is this kind of disconnection from, um, from generosity and the, uh, the object of generosity. So what difference does it make? How should we think about that in terms of how it affects our life of generosity? as we try to undermine uh, the desire just to acquire in our life. Let's take a moment and look at the gospel. You know, the reading this week is about a man that asks Jesus to tell his brother uh, to give him as part of his father's inheritance. Jesus says, who made me your judge? Avoid greed, avoid covetousness. Uh, become rich in the things of God. This is Jesus' response to the man uh, who, who asked for a share in his father's uh, inheritance. So think about what's being said, because it's not just as simple as avoid greed, be generous. That's part of it. But it's, always, it's also a sense of identity, how you think about yourself uh, as, as a human being. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast about St. Martha the Dragon Slayer, and it was about workism and our tendency as Americans to value ourselves 
according to how hard we work, how much we get paid, our identity in what we do. Well, this story also from Luke, because that story about Martha and Mary, uh, Martha sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary uh, obsessing that, uh, that, Martha rather obsessing that Mary wasn't helping her. Um, we come back to those issues in this reading in the, in the chapter that follows the story of, of Martha and Mary. And it's really the focus of all the readings this Sunday. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 1, vanity of vanities, all things are vanity. The Greek word, the Hebrew word being hebo. And by vanity, you know, we think of vanity as I like to look in the mirror and make sure that I got, I'm looking at my best or uh, very vain about how I think, how I dress. That's not the sense of the word of vanity in this translation. It's um, in the sense that it's all in vain. Everything that you do is ultimately in vain. This is why Ecclesiastes is a very pessimistic book. It sees that, that all sense of what we try to acquire for ourselves and really for others uh, is all going to go away anyway because uh, everything is passing. That's why everything is vanity. And so this is, you don't have to believe, be a Christian to believe that. But then the question you ask yourself is, what do I do with my time, my talent, and my treasure? And that's really the issue of the gospel in Luke uh, chapter 12. Uh, and in that gospel, uh, the man asked Jesus about helping him get his inheritance from his brother. And that's when Jesus goes into this story about this very wealthy man who had all of this stuff. And what he did was he spent his money to build more barns so that he could just have more places to store all his food, all of his wine, all of his fancy uh, furniture, whatever the guy had. And that the idea is that he thought he, by doing that, he would secure his future. But he didn't read Ecclesiastes, right? That fool, Jesus says, this very night your life is required of you. Jesus is going back and affirming uh, this idea in Ecclesiastes that seeking our identity by what we have is building our identity on sand. It's like identifying too close with whatever job of prestige you had or your ability to work. That When it goes away, what do you have it left? Well, hopefully what you have left is things that make you rich in the eyes of God, that you lay up treasures in heaven. This was how St. Polinus Enola thought. He seriously thought that by taking his vast wealth and feeding the poor and building shrines in honor of St. Felix and Nola, that he was literally storing up treasures in heaven. There were these mosaics in the ancient world, in the Roman world, and it was the workers on the land bringing the fruits of the harvest to the domini, the landowner. And so that it was this harmony of nature producing, then the harmony of Roman culture where the workers would take care of the patron, then the patron would in, in turn take care of the workers. It's how the Roman world, um, how the Roman world worked. And in fact, that is what Paulinus of Nola took forward. It's why going forward in Christian history, uh, the monasteries, especially the Benedictine monasteries, were great sources of care for the poor 
It became part of their order that they didn't turn the poor down. They had a duty of hospitality. And for instance, in the Reformation in England, when King Henry VIII seized, I think it was like 15 or 1800 monasteries in England, took them, pensioned off all the nuns and all the monks, took the property and sold it to his cronies so he could raise money to fight a war. Um, Eamon Duffy points out, that it, uh, a, a historian of the Reformation in England, that it undermined care of the poor for 100 years in England because that was the safety net, those Benedictine houses. And when it was just removed uh, without anything to replace it, because Henry VIII did nothing to replace it, neither did his daughter Elizabeth I. Um, the poor became just desperate in England. You know, we live in a world where we're all really dependent. Um, and so thinking of our dependence on the roadways others built, the education at colleges others gave us, uh, the supply chain that's really kept in place by others and their interest in making money, we live in this very connected world. And now as things kind of rattle apart a little bit, because we're getting shook, it should remind us of how dependent we are on a good, honest government, um, business people that are honest and do their job, a steady supply chain to keep food in the market and the things that we need uh, to make our lives possible. But if you can feel your dependence on others doing their work, imagine all those who are dependent on you just for some help in a hard time. And I want to take a moment and turn to that now because that's really how we ought to think about this scripture, uh, about uh, Jesus condemning greed and advising that we should learn to become rich in the things of God. So let's ask what that might mean in our lives. So Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, friend who pointed me as your judge and arbitrator, take care to guard against all greed. For though you, one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. This is another story about identity. What does your life consist of? So let's talk about generosity, uh, more so than greed. Let's talk about how generosity helps undermine that sense of acquisitiveness in our life where we want to identify uh, with what we own. You know, morality isn't hard because it makes limitless demands on us to convert our money into longer lives or reduce suffering in the world incrementally. Uh, to think of morality as virtue, that is, the kind of person that you're becoming, the image of Christ, it requires more than just sending a check to some place, though at some point that is what you do as a generous person. But it also requires an intense engagement with other people and all of their needs. I think we can all agree that people can be a pain in the neck. Um, we can be a pain in the neck. But sometimes the generosity of spirit is learning just how to put up with other people and thinking about their own particular needs. So that because of the very personal dimension of generosity, uh, it's going to change you because 
It requires you to do something and care for another person. So virtue ethics, morality, is about our formation of self, but not just about our formation of self. Um, we want to give money or time or talent to uh, others, to our parish, to the community we live in, because the moral goal we have for our life is our transformation into the image of Christ in the world, to be a man, to be a woman for others. And so that when we uh, think about a generous life, Yes, it does involve being generous, whatever financial means, great or small, that God has entrusted us with. But ultimately, it's about who we are before God uh, and expressed in how we, we actually love and engage with our neighbor. So, you know, I know people get concerned. I've had people in confession say, I know I'm not as generous as I could be. And it's a tough, it's a tough uh, thing, especially for people who are very blessed in life because of their hard work, their intelligence. They've done very well. Um, but I think that the key is to understand that generosity is bigger than just the checks that you write um, because it's how you do it. Uh, do you actually think of the people that you're helping? Do you try to become aware of what the uh, charities that you support actually do, because these are the kinds of things which help form us as human beings and the people that actually care about our community. It is so easy to just disregard the needs of classes of people uh, gathered at the border or at a soup kitchen or on the corner asking for money or in Sudan or victims of racism, victims of domestic violence, children have been abused, you know, you can take all of those groups and make them into abstractions. In my own experience, it changes how I think because I meet people who have been abused or I talk to a homeless person or I've uh, been with people who are refugees and you hear their personal stories. And it's what gets you past the abstractions. So I think the takeaway from this gospel is Thus will it be for all who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich in what matters to God. The thus is you fool. You took your whole life and you wasted it. Heaven is how it is we can form ourselves to think like God um, and to care for others. So think about why it is you're generous. Let me offer a couple of ways to think about things. First, have you ever reflected on your generosity with your time, your talent, your treasure, uh, why you do it? Um, is it just out of a sense of guilt or you hitting a mathematical number where I've given enough and now maybe hopefully God will be happy with me? But here's some ideas to think about in prayer or is just driving down the road and reflecting on why you do what you do and how you try to be a generous person. So reflect on your own story, how you got to where you are in life. Um, think of everything you could control, sitting down and studying, uh, showing up for class on time, uh, trying to develop skills at work, all those gifts that you have. Then also just think of just the lucky things that happened to you, things you didn't earn, but they just fell into your lap. Or here's another, 
Have you ever been so fortunate to have people in your lives, maybe mentors at work or parents or relatives or friends or strangers who their virtue somehow had such a huge impact on you um, and that they're connecting with you and what was good for you just touched you so deeply. I hope you have a story like that. And then conversely, do you have stories in your life where you just get angry with the injustice around you or other people's greed, um, the other's vices which undermine the well-being of others? So this whole story in your life about what you brought to the table, what was just luck that fell into your life, people who made an impact on you, and then the things that make you angry about what the world you live in is like. Maybe this is your motivation for generosity. So here's three things to think of. First, your starting point. So what is the good life for you? Um, how much do you really need to live the good life? Um, are you at the point where when you buy stuff, the joy it gives you is diminishing returns? Do you have a carport or a garage full of junk that you never use? Do you go through all the stuff in your cabinets or your drawers? Um, greed is an insatiable desire to keep acquiring. Uh, we all suffer from greed at some level. And so there's a good place to start. What role does greed have in your life? Then think, what do I want my life to be? What's the goal? What's the essential things that I need to have? Um, do I want a community that's a happier community? Um, am I worried about what's happening to kids? Well, maybe um, supporting CTSO uh, and getting a kid a Catholic education, uh, supporting groups that help kids get back to school and have a, a, a backpack, Think about helping a kid up. You can't solve every problem they have. You wish you could because they're just innocent victims. But you can maybe be that virtuous person in their life that helps. Uh, and so thinking about what has motivated me in my life, good and bad, how can I express that in my giving? And then the means that you have of doing things. Maybe you do set aside X amount of dollars out of your budget that you're going to budget out to the various uh, charities you care about. Maybe you're going to spend 20 bucks on a source that you really like, that's a good, healthy news subscription that you want to keep in business because you really like the fact of what they're trying to do in educating the public. Maybe you're going to help somebody uh, through college um, to give them a chance at, a, at an education in life or through a trade school. school. Maybe you're going to make a decision that you can give up X amount of money to help combat malaria or bad water in Africa uh, because you do care about people from that continent. And uh, there are some great charities that do that. Maybe you're going to decide to take a pay cut at work or uh, bypass a promotion so you have the time to spend with an ailing mom or dad or a child. These are works of tremendous generosity that sometimes are not as recognized and appreciated as they ought to be. So, you know, you could decide, I earn to give, and, um, you know, money is very fungible. Uh, it's a great way of doing things for other people that really you couldn't do on your, on your own.
uh, giving uh, to Habitat for Humanity helps people to own homes because, you know, you just don't have the skill set to go and hang drywall or do electrical. So money is a, a great instrumental good if directed wisely. But it's only part of a, of a generous life. Generosity is connection and building community with others. It's resisting making obscene gestures at people in traffic. Um, here's what Jesus said. It so inspired that woman from Carthage, I suspect, but St. Polinus of Nola wrote about it. This was the phrase from Luke which set St. Polinus on fire, where he used his vast wealth to care for the poor in southern Italy. It's from Luke chapter 16, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Generosity for Jesus is more than writing checks. It's about how it is that we treat others, how it is that we try to be that person of virtue in someone else's life, how we try to make a difference, maybe in just one person's life, so that when you do show up for your final judgment, there's one person that invites you in. Maybe that's all you need. This has been Oro Valley Catholic, and I'll see you next week.